Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow. My name is Heather, and I'm here today with Malcolm from Australia. Hello, Malcolm. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So, Malcolm, I know almost nothing about you, only that you are a coach and professional speaker, and that you come from Sydney. Yeah, so I was in Sydney, you know, about 12 years ago. I met this beautiful lady, Therese, and thought, well, this this is the lady I want to be with, and, uh, and she was Swedish. She was in Sydney. I was walking down the beach, you know, and... Uh, met this fantastic lady and decided that I should uh, sell everything, completely uproot my life and follow love to the other side of the world, which has worked out pretty good because we're married now, two kids, having a great time. And when I first visited Stockholm, when I was courting my wife and we were having this like global affair going from one side of the world to another, (laughs) um, when I came here, I just instantly fell in love with Stockholm. I just loved Stockholm from the first time I got here. So when it came to make a decision where we're going to live, it was pretty easy because I really, really wanted to experience living in Sweden. Now that I'm here, it's really become home. So I'm really... I'm one of the lucky ones. Yes, but I think a lot of us can relate to coming to Sweden for love. (laughs) Yes, I'm a classic uh, love refugee. So what was it about Stockholm that made you like it so much? Because in my head, I'm thinking, why wouldn't you live in Australia? I mean, beaches, Sydney. Well, I mean, there was another piece, you know, my wife's very, very close with her parents, speaks with them all the time. She's always there having cups of coffee and being with them and I figured that well I guess I think my wife would be here for about a year before she'd decide to you know that she really missed her parents and got homesick so that was kind of in my calculation mm-hmm. but uh, before I moved here she did say before you move to Sweden I'm definitely coming and having one more summer in in Sydney so we had a fantastic summer while I was planning to move and then we came here and it was, was just great. The thing about Stockholm is it's just such an amazing city. I mean, I live next to a lake, which is next to a ski hill, next to a big national park, and I can ride my bicycle to Central Station in 15 minutes. So Stockholm just has this incredible quality of life woven through it, which I just, you know, I think is just amazing. And Sydney's amazing as well, but, you know, it's a different kind of city. And when I met my wife, I was kind of done with Sydney already. It was just, it's a very stressful city to live in now. It's very crowded, expensive too many cars too many people (laughs) kind of thing but Stockholm I feel like it's just got this amazing balance of work life nature and culture you know also you know you're walking past a building in Gamlestan which is old town and it'll say you know like 1559 or something over the door or something it's like my god this is this building was here before white people came to Australia yeah yeah I yeah. feel like I'm I'm in a fake set on a movie or that I'm at Disneyland and in, in yeah. some sort of hall of countries or something it, <laughs> it seems so unreal to think that some of these buildings are that old <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. What were some of the um, things that you noticed like that were quite different or things that you had to get used to besides the darkness and yeah. the cold? Well, the darkness and the cold, you know, I knew were, I, I expected those. I knew they were coming, although I never expected how hard the darkness would be. Everyone told me, you know, it's the darkness is really hard and it really, really is. 
the colds, you know, you just put another jacket on. But the thing that was really difficult for me is, you know, Australians are very extroverted people, very friendly. If you're walking down the street, you make eye contact with someone, you say, hey, hey, you know, hi, how you going? And uh, but when I came here, I would like wave to people on the street and they'd just be like freaking out. And like you get on a bus in Australia, you know, and you might start a conversation with the person next to you and be quite normal sort of thing to do. Like it's a nice day today. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, I actually got on a bus once and I was a professional drummer for many years. I've been playing drums for many years. It's just professionally and now as a hobby. But I got on a bus and this guy was watching a video on his phone of a very famous drummer. And I said, oh, I, I, I actually had lessons with that drummer, you know, and, and he's like, oh, yeah. And I was trying to get a conversation going. And I said, if you ever want to learn that hand technique, you know, I can teach you what he taught me. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, why would you help me? You haven't even, you've never met me. Why would you offer to help me? And he got up and moved. And I was just like, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Because in Australia, that would have been like, yeah, come over on Sunday and we'll have some drums and some beers and we'll work it out. Like it's just really kind of natural. But I was just like, wow. <laughs> I, and I remember coming home and going like, well, I really don't understand. <laughs> but I think it, it took me a while to understand how to be myself. I think like you can be yourself, but you have to work out a way to manage the kind of process. Like I can be just as loud with people, but not straight away way you have to kind of build it up so it took a while for me to be able to be myself here it took a while definitely how long do you think it took you to kind of feel yourself and are you really totally yourself here at this point yeah well I feel like I I am but I, I feel like as I'm, I'm I am this the I call it the Swazi Swedish Aussie Swazi version of myself I like it but it's like, you know, I'm the Swazi version of me. When I get together with an Australian and I speak to them, there's it's all of this shorthand, you know, in the language, the way you speak, the, the, you know, there's just this unspoken things that are in your culture that you know about so you can just reference them. <laughs> and so, you know, you're never going to be 100% yourself in another country because you, you don't have the same cultural references, the same history. You know, if I said to somebody here, oh, Warney died, they wouldn't have a clue what that is. But in Australia, that's like one of Australia's most famous cricketers. But if I just turned to Australia and said, Warney died, they'd be like, what? But if I said that <laughs> to someone in Sweden, they'd be like, we don't even know what you're saying. What, what yeah. are you saying? To <laughs> so there's, you know, it's cultural references that, you know, you're never going to share. But it goes back and forth. My wife tells me things like once there was this story about the mushroom and the, the goblins, or I don't know, she's telling me something. I'm just like, what are you talking about? And she's like, doesn't matter. But like another Swede would think it was like, oh, yeah, you know. So exactly. but I'm really comfortable here. Yeah, I'm really comfortable. I love it here. I don't want to move back to Australia. I've never, <laughs> I've never been homesick. How often do you get back? Well, I actually haven't been back for a few years. Uh, it's been the pandemic, everything. I used to have the luxury of my parents coming here because mm -hmm. they used to love to come to Europe every second some, every second year for a, a trip and a, see people. Uh, my father's originally from Italy and uh, came here as a child. So he's really Australian but with the Italian roots. But, you know, yeah. he's got, we've got relatives. My aunt lives in Germany. 
my stepmother's parents are from the Isle of Man. So they came back. But unfortunately, over the last few years, you know, my dad's, he's almost 90. The travel got too much for him. He couldn't travel anymore. And then Corona came, I couldn't go. And now I was planning to go, but I was just going to go home for a quick trip. (laughs) But I'm not going to leave my family behind because as we are recording this, there's a conflict in Ukraine, which is a bit too close for comfort. That makes it a little difficult right now, I think, to go on a very long trip away at least yeah. if, if you're going to go on your own. But it's such mm. a shame because I think that's, it happens to a lot of us being immigrants here that yes, our parents are getting older or there's other reasons that they yeah. can't visit. And of course, with the whole Corona thing, most of us have not been able to see our family either. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, sometimes a, a lot of people here don't realize how rough that is on somebody who's picked up and moved yeah. to another well, country. Yeah, well, it really hit me today because I woke up to the news that my uh, my hometown was underwater, like a re- severe flooding oh, like, no. happening. And so I immediately called my stepmother and said, hey, is everything okay? Are you okay? And you know, really felt like, oh my goodness, I should be there. But of course, life is about making decisions and trade-offs, right? You can't have everything. And the joy of having a beautiful Swedish wife and a beautiful Swedish life is that I am far away from my parents. And, you know, you just have to take that as a consequence. And it's not easy. But one thing that I kind of realized really early on was if you're going to make a decision like this to move really is about as far away as you can get. <laughs> I mean, I, if, only if I married a penguin could I go further, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it, if once you make that decision, you're just going to have to take the consequences and just, for me, I just was, I really have to make peace with it because otherwise I'm not going to enjoy my life. Right. And, you know, my stepmother moved from the Isle of Man, which is just off, you know, the coast of Ireland, I think it is, and moved to Sydney. So she made the same sacrifice. So when I say to her, I'm sorry, I'm not there, she goes, hey, I did it. Exactly. Know, she understands. Exactly. She understands, <laughs> yeah. Have you learned Swedish yet? Uh, I I can speak Swedish a little bit. I'm not good. And I would say the my only regret is that I didn't focus more on Swedish in my first year. But what happens to a lot of immigrants is, you know, there's a lot of English language jobs. So obviously you get into the job market, then you're speaking English all day. You come home, you want to be with your partner and you want to actually have a proper conversation, not where is the cup, you know, sort of (laughs) (laughs) saying this kind of really. And so what happens to a lot of immigrants, you know, that come here, I see is they get into the English channel of an English life in Sweden and it's hard to get back out of. So it's something that I want to spend more time on, but as a business owner, father of two, renovating an apartment to sell, you know, it's like, where do I sit down and talk, think about Swedish conjugated verbs in my life, you know? (laughs) I would add to that, that you're also learning culture and you're in a new marriage and I mean, not new anymore, but when you came, And it's, you're meeting her family. It's so much to take in at once. It's so much to take in, but I I would, if anyone is watching this with a plan to come to Sweden, I would say make Swedish a priority for yourself. Try and be able to make the first year of your life here Swedish, not because you need it to get a job or build a business. I've built an amazing business in Swedish because before the pandemic, I was in like two or three different countries a month speaking. So English was required anyway, but it's more the cultural part of it to understand the TV shows, the humor, to be able to go and see a play, to go and see a talk by some Swedish person. Yeah. I think it's more of 
the key to the culture and understanding the people. The more language you, you learn, the, the more you can sort of soak up the experience of what Sweden's about. But yeah, I would say that was, I don't have any regrets, but if I was doing it again, I would probably wait longer to get a job and would have spent more time learning Swedish as like this sort of ground, getting some grounding in it. So it's because I think it's all about momentum. The more momentum you have, the more confident you feel to try. But, you know, I, I can sit at a dinner table and have sort of a conversation and try and follow it. But yeah, I don't know what you've experienced with that, Heather, but one of the things I learned really early was it doesn't matter how much you can say in Swedish, it's how much you can understand. Yes. <laughs> because you can say you can say something to somebody and it's like you can talk for five minutes in Swedish and then they answer you and if you don't understand, it's the end of the conversation. So I can read quite a lot of Swedish now. I'm quite good at reading Swedish. I can speak okay, but understanding it and all the different dialects in Sweden because sometimes I understand one person completely and then the person next to them, I can't understand anything because they've got some Scorne <laughs> accent. Scorne is this region, right, where they speak really a different kind of dialect in a way. It's really the one dialect that I can pick up on immediately because yeah. when I first moved here and, and people would ask, you know, oh, can you tell I'm from this part of Sweden? And it would be like, no, you all sound the same to me. But the Skånska accent is yeah, definitely... Yeah quite different <laughs> yeah I mean but I know Swedes who don't understand them either my mother-in-law says I can understand Danish people more than I can understand oh. people from school so. <laughs> but with having kids do you feel that you've picked up more Swedish just from oh yeah you do kids? I mean you pick it up because it's around you when I was growing up my father was Italian but we, he never taught us Italian. And I was always like, you could have given us a language for yes. free. <laughs> and, it and, he said, and he said to me, yeah, but I was talking about your mother with my mother and I didn't want you to know what I was saying. <laughs> but um, so my wife and I, you know, I only speak English to the children. Mm -hmm. She speaks Swedish. So we're constantly swapping back and forth. And I have a seven-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl and they are amazing at English. <laughs> <laughs> like amazing. But you know what has really made their English so incredible? YouTube. <laughs> they both got into YouTube last year. And over the last year of watching YouTube, they've developed so much vocabulary because they're spending, you know, lots of time watching people speaking English, but quite often quite advanced English. Exactly. Yeah. And I found the same thing. Um, somebody was discussing this with me the other day about these Swedish kids with just Swedish parents, not immigrant parents. Their English is just amazing at such a young age. And it's because of YouTube. All yeah. these kids are, are picking it up. It's And, you um, know, the, and the thing is, the school system is going to have to adapt because when my daughter goes to her English class, I mean, they get some extra English teaching anyway because yes. of, you can have that. Home language, yes. Yeah, home language at school. You know, the actual school, when my daughter's 10 and they say, now you're going to learn English and they're going to start with cat and dog, she's going to be like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, easy A, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the way I look it's at like, it. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you have your own business. How did you go about setting all of this up? Uh, well, it was actually people say, how did, how did you do this? And I say caffeine, stress and relentless hours, <laughs> you know, is basically how I did it. Now, what I did is I, I came here and I, I just 
realize, uh, you know, and I tell my coaching clients this, you can't climb a ladder you're not on. So get a job doing anything, anywhere and get started because the most important thing about, especially Stockholm, it's a networking city. Yes. If you get on the ladder and you start meeting people and telling people what you really do or what you want to do. So I came here and I took a couple of jobs in sales uh, in my first couple of years here just to get established, get grounded. We wanted to have a child quite soon because, you know, I was a little bit older than my wife and we thought we should get started. So, you know, I took some jobs and then what I did is I just started coaching people after work, telling people I'm a coach, handing out, a you know, had some business cards made, do you want some coaching? And then, you know, I had the opportunity in the companies I was working with to do some talks and things. And that kind of got my reputation inside the company as a trainer. And then I would take photos of me doing training, put them on LinkedIn. Like now I'm training a sales seem and as I was building this um, narrative and the great thing about when you move to a new country is nobody knows who you are so you can do anything you want right (laughs) yes and so I just put out there one of Australia's most popular speakers is now in Stockholm and just kept pushing it out pushing it out and then through these associations I had in these companies, I met a guy who was bringing a very famous speaker to Sweden. And he said, would you like to be the host of that event? And I said, yes. And I hired like a videographer and a photographer. And so I got these amazing photos of me on stage in this big theater speaking. And I put them all over LinkedIn and that really set the ball rolling, got the momentum going for me to start doing things. And then it was about, uh, what is it, seven years ago, I really committed to my business and really started building it up. And then over the last five years, I've been self-supporting in my own business, more or less. And it's just built and built. And, you know, I've been working with uh, Ericsson and Electrolux. Spotify called me today, uh, H&M, weekday. So, uh, you know, Volvo, I'm working with them in, in a few months. So, one of the first customers I had was Ericsson, which is like one of the biggest companies in Sweden. (laughs) And so, wow, I've got my first job and it's with Ericsson, like going fishing quite a while. But it was also just like, and then I would go to Ericsson and then I have this thing and then someone else would call and I'd just say, yes, well, I was just working with Ericsson and what we did there. And, you know, you sound established, then you're working with H&M and then you you say, well, I was just working with Ericsson and H&M. And so you just go out there and you just do it until you make it. I don't like to say fake it, but you just hustle till you make it. If you want to make it happen, you can, but it's just, but you know, my wife said to me maybe two years ago, she said, I've never met a human who could sleep as little as you do and survive. Like, because, you know, there was many years where it was like just 12, 15 hours a day, every day for many years to get things happening and make it work. But at the same time, you know, you're having so much fun, you're building something, you're getting these big wins, you're kind of getting a reputation and building that reputation, delivering great work is very energizing, very empowering. And for me, the thing that I'm so proud of is the repeat business, right? So like 80% of my business is repeat customers at this point. That's a very good sign. That saved me during the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was booked for many months ahead, like six, seven months ahead of bookings. In the space of like seven, eight days, everything was cancelled. Suddenly I had no work, sat on the couch with my head in my hands for the beginning of this lockdowns and said, what am I going to do? And all of those customers called me and said, help, we need your help. And they all kept me busy and I learned how to do digital workshops instead. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's been a really fun journey. But I think one of the things building a business, doing your own thing does for you is it gives you a, a kind of resilience. Like if I did it once, I could do it again. So if something goes wrong, I think you learn to trust yourself in a different way. If you have your own business and you look after yourself and you make things happen for yourself. And sometimes I hate it. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> I would, can I just please have a job just stamping pieces of paper where you don't have to think about okay i don't have to think about nothing and yeah i don't need to post anything on social media i'm just that guy in the (laughs) office with a cigarette with a stamp and some two piles of paper and don't talk to me (laughs) but you know most of the time i love it so but i feel really lucky you know i just get to do really interesting things with interesting people in interesting companies so I'm, i'm blessed just for a quick overview, what are the types of talks that you're giving to companies? Yeah, so everything I, I do is coaching, but what kind? Yeah, <laughs> so I work with individuals, teams, and organizations, and everything I do is centered around self leadership. And but around that, you know, I'll be doing self leadership, how to pitch ideas, how to present ideas, diversity and inclusion. I'm doing a talk tomorrow on diversity and inclusion. I talk a lot around values company values and personal values, how to integrate them. And now I've been talking, you know, a lot about hybrid working and hybrid leadership as something that I've been working with a lot over the last, uh, you know, say six, seven months. What I try and do is sort of center everything as self-leadership, but self-leadership in diversity. So it's sort of like a flower with different petals, but the center of it is all around. Swedish working culture is quite different than I would guess Australian. I know it's very different than American. Have you come across some things that maybe don't translate or that it's like, oh, wow, we never thought of thinking of it this way? No, I think, I think, you know, there's, I mean, there's definitely a different work ethic in the Nordics because they have tried to integrate their work and their life in a better way. And at first, when I came here, I thought these people are lazy. You know, it's like at five <laughs> o'clock, they just get up and leave the office at like on the dot. At five o'clock, at five past five, you could put a hand mm-hmm. grenade off and no one would get hurt. But what I came to realize over time is in the Nordic countries, they've kind of gone past work life balance and they've got work life integration. And it's really built into the society that it's okay to go home and be with your family. It's okay to take 480 days maternity leave. It's okay for dads to take time off to be with their parents because your boss is going to pick up their kid at five o'clock as well or four o'clock. Your boss isn't like saying you can't go and get your kid because they're going to get their kid because they've really done a great job of integrating their, their life and work. But in terms of differences, I would I would say the biggest difference is that they've tried to make really flat organizations in the Nordics where there isn't so much hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And they have this thing, this consensus culture where everyone should have a say, which drove me insane when I came me too. here. Because <laughs> it's like we're going to have a meeting and then we're going to have a meeting about the meeting and we're going to have a meeting to decide if the meetings we've had are enough meetings. Like, can we just make a decision yep. for God's sake? <laughs> And I think this is like something that really was the hardest part was this consensus culture because in Australia it's like, okay, there's a problem, we're going to solve it. Probably a decision maker, you give them three options, the decision maker says yes. But here there's this idea of this consensus, everyone having a say. In one way it's really good because it helps people feel included, helps people feel safe in the way things are done, but it also slows things down immensely. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you just can make a decision and I had this 
client once and they told me, you know, we're, we're an engineering consulting firm and we had a meeting about the flavor of muffins we had and it cost us 190,000 krona. That's like 19,000 <laughs> euros in lost productivity. And they said, help us, help yes. us get out of this nightmare. <laughs> it's sometimes you don't need to have a meeting about everything. You just, we're going to try different flavor muffins on Friday. Exactly. We'll send out a survey. Do you like them or not? Right. It's like, <laughs> but sometimes it was really, that's literally something that happened. A company that lost like so much money in consulting fee hours because they were talking about muffins. It's like, why are you? And so I think it, for me, this was really the biggest difference that I saw. We're going to have to wrap up soon, but I did want to ask you, because we often do a feature on here where mm-hmm. we ask our guests, what is their biggest Swedish problem? Something that annoys them about the way What's things are, are done or something missing? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, but I would just want to preface it by saying it's the ultimate first world problem. The buses are too hot in the summer. Like yes, the buses, right. they don't turn the heating off. And I've been on buses in the summer and it's like 50 freaking degrees Celsius. <laughs> it's like it's 35 degrees on like that or 30 degrees or something on a hot summer's day in Stockholm. And the buses, the windows don't open. There's no air conditioning. It's like being in a sauna. And I, I know the Swedes love saunas, but I like to choose when you're having a sauna. It's not exactly. so nice when you're going to but. <laughs> Look, I've only found like that's basically my only complaint that I found about living in Sweden. Not was, bad. Yeah, it's pretty high quality of life. Well, I I think one thing is that it seems to be getting warmer in the summers, of course, because of yeah. climate change. And yeah, yeah, on the bus, you've pretty much got that one uh, like roof thing that yeah. pops up, which does which nothing. Sometimes they open <laughs> exactly, and then the subways are usually awful. But these new subway cars they've been getting in, if you get lucky, you get on one that has air conditioning. One summer, it was so hot a couple of years ago, and I was going into work, and I I had to switch subway, so I only had one stop until my work on this different subway, and it had air conditioning, and I just sat there thinking... Maybe I could be late for work today and just ride it to the end and ride it back. <laughs> well, there has been a couple of times where I actually decided to get off a bus and walk because yes. it was 30 degrees outside and it was cooler to be in the 30 degrees than be on the bus. So, mm. But, hey, I'm not, I'm not really complaining. <laughs> it's not often it's hot in Stockholm. So that's true. That's, that's true, like hot, two weeks. You, you, <laughs> Yeah, it's like the two days of the year when it's actually hot. So it's hard for us to talk about this when everything outside is covered in a sheet of ice. But you asked me for something. That's all I could dig up. There you go. (laughs) Well, it's so nice to meet you and to have you on. And I hope you have a good spring and that this ice melts very soon. Yes. and that hopefully you're able to go to Australia soon and yeah, I have so to clear up in the world. We'll Thanks for me for having me on your little podcast. I really you. appreciate it. 